and welcome to the Blessed Life Podcast, where we explore together how to walk in the promises of Jesus. Thanks for listening today. I'm Pastor Eric, Discipleship Pastor of the New Life Lutheran Church. Thank you for joining us for our twice-monthly discipleship podcast. I hope that you have enjoyed so far these last two episodes where we've explored Colossians and we've explored the implications of discipleship that Colossians has for us and all the good things that we have learned from Colossians. If you have not listened to the last two episodes, go ahead and uh, listen to those before you listen to this because that'll get you caught up and you'll know what we're dealing with and how we're dealing with this topic of discipleship. The last two episodes, we've explored what discipleship is, and we've determined that discipleship really has to do with walking in or inhabiting the promises of God. We discussed that uh, that there are all these amazing things that God has given us in Christ, and the Christian life, discipleship, is not so much striving to become better on our own, but is actually simply inhabiting and becoming those things that God has already said about us. And I recently came across a quote from Martin Luther that I really liked that I wanted to share with you. This is from an article that he wrote called The Defense and Explanation of All the Articles. This is him discussing uh, the, the Augsburg Confession, the apology to the Augsburg Confession, and his response to that. He says this, This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness, not health, but healing, not being, but becoming, not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. So this life that we live now is a life of progressing. It is a life of becoming. It is a life of healing. It's a life of exercise, and it's a life of becoming what God has called us to be. But it is important to note, as we talked about in the last two episodes, that this is not something that we do, but it's something that is actually done to us. And we receive these blessings, and we inhabit the promises that God has given us, and that's how we become what he has called us to be. So we are becoming what God is making us. We are becoming what God has called us, and he has called us righteous. He has called us healthy. He has called us pure, and we are becoming those things. He is drawing us into himself in Christ. And today we're talking about one of the benefits that we receive, one of the promises that we have in Christ, and that's confidence. People try to find confidence in all sorts of things. People have confidence in their career, and they feel really good about what they do or who they are. If they're a union worker or a firefighter or a police officer, they feel really good. They have confidence in their career. Or some people have confidence in their income, in the actual money that they receive for their work. They feel proud and confident in how much they are making. A lot of people right now in our world, in our country specifically, find confidence in their politics, that they have identified that their politics is, uh, they, they think that they are so right about their politics and their political worldview, and they have confidence in that. And some people have confidence in their religion, and a lot of Christians have confidence in their religion as well. And while when we think about these things, about people feeling good about what they've done, they're proud of this thing about them, uh, although that is some of confidence, I think that the better definition of confidence is something else. And, uh, and I want you to think in your mind about someone who, in your life, who is truly confident, truly goes about their life, and they know who they are, and everything seems effortless to them. 
So for me, when I think about confidence, confidence has a kind of not not an arrogance because I think when people are too arrogant about something, it actually reveals that they're not that confident about it. So confidence doesn't have an arrogance. This person they they know who they are and they know what they're about. And they don't need to prove that to anybody else. And so this is where our confidence that our neighbors and ourselves find in our career, our income, our politics, our religion, this is where we fall short of actual confidence. Because confidence has an effortlessness about it. A confident person is someone who knows what they're about, who knows what they are doing, and who knows why they are doing it. They're not arrogant, but they are confident and sure of themselves. There's this effortlessness about how they approach their lives. And uh, my wife and I, we have some good friends that uh, I think of when I think of confidence. And this family is a family that we've known for a long time. And they are a wonderful family that um, that Sarah and I try to model ourselves after as much as we can. And this family, especially for me, the husband, the father of this family, is someone who I think just exudes confidence. He always seems to know what to do. He always seems to know what the next step is. He is so sure of himself and sure of his abilities. And if he doesn't know how to do something or he's uncomfortable in a situation, he is confident enough to continue moving forward in that situation to learn and to grow and to succeed in whatever that situation might be. And this is someone for me who, this is the definition of confidence, a kind of effortlessness, not arrogance, uh, but almost a humility in how they approach their lives. They always seem to know who they are and what they're doing and why they're doing it. So this is my definition of confidence. Knowing who you are, knowing what you're about, and having a guiding set of values in making decisions. And so really, when we look back at all the things that we find confidence in, confidence in career, income, politics, religion, so much of people's identity is found in these things. They have confidence in these things because they feel like they know who they are. They are a Republican or a Democrat. They are a firefighter or a police officer or a union worker, whatever it might be. They know what they're about. They know what they're doing. They know why they're doing it. And they have this guiding set of values and how they make decisions. And so we try to find, oftentimes, we try to find our confidence in these temporary things. Because at the end of the day, careers and income, those are temporary. You can only work at a job so long, and you can't take your income with you when you die. We try to find our confidence in politics, but that's a temporary thing. As we've seen how quickly the regimes here in the United States can change. We had you know, one president for eight years, then another president for four years, and now we have another president again. It's just always changing. In our politics, it's always changing the political scene in our country. So that's kind of a finicky, temporary thing. Or some people try to find confidence in their families. But as you and I know, family relationships can be broken quite easily. Or we try to find confidence in our religion, in the group that we're a part of, and making sure that we're part of the in crowd and other people are part of the out crowd. We try to find confidence in these things. But all of these things are shifting sand. Because you see, when we lose these temporary things, when 
our politics fails or our career fails or our family relationships are broken or even if our religion stops being the main religion of the country that we live in, which is exactly what we're experiencing now, guess what happens? We fall into fear and we fall into despair. Now, I'm a pastor and I've seen it happen a lot. Conversations that I've had that I have with people where they uh, they are so concerned and they go on and on about the state of our country and the state of religion in our country. There's a lament, a lamenting of uh, this America that used to be, where everyone went to church, where everyone was associated with Christianity, and now it's different and people feel like they're losing power, they're losing security. And what has happened is that people have put their hope, they've put their confidence in religion, in the Christian religion. And they've had that as the marker where when that begins to shift, when that begins to fail, they have concern and they begin to fall into fear and to despair. I can tell you right now that there are lots of people who were very afraid uh, after this last election about what would happen in the future. I can tell you that there were lots of people uh, five years ago in 2016, after the 2016 election, there were lots of people who were afraid about what was going to happen. And so when politics shift, when things change, we become fearful and we despair about our world. You see, when we try to find our confidence in temporary things, like our career, our income, our politics, our family, our religion, they begin to shift and we begin to fail. This is a much different picture than what we see in the book of Colossians. Some of the promises that we see Paul talk about in Colossians. And I want to start with this one in chapter one. This is one of the first prayers of Paul. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. This is kind of one of his, this is one of his first main statements where he says, this is the theme. This is what I want for my readers. And this is what it says. Chapter one, verse nine, it says this, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. So here we have this passage where Paul, he's praying something for the Colossian hearers. He's praying something for the Colossian church. And he asks, and he's asking God, he's saying that we have prayed that this group of people may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And then it says something else, in all spiritual wisdom, and understanding. All spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not some spiritual wisdom, not some understanding. No, all. All spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this reminds me of Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul writes something similar. He says, in Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to you. These promises, these statements here, are not dependent on the work that we do. These are promises, these are gospel passages where these qualities are lavished upon us, not because of what we do, but simply as a gift from God. All spiritual wisdom and understanding, every spiritual blessing, not some, not a little bit, not a little portion, all spiritual wisdom, all understanding, every spiritual blessing. 
these promises are so grand and so lavish. I don't, I don't even understand how to begin to process the implications of these. Because imagine if we walked around our world today grabbing onto all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Imagine if we lived in this promise. Imagine if we inhabited this promise. Imagine if we inhabited the promise of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours. Every single one, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I can't even fathom the kind of transformation and life change that would happen if we believed and we trusted God for these things that he has already said are ours. He's already given them to us in Christ. So in Christ, we have a different level of confidence. We have been given all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And we have a couple other places that we see this kind of just lavish grace upon us. In chapter 3, verse 3, this is what Paul writes. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him. Let's jump down to verse 12 of chapter 3. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Paul has, he does not cut corners in Colossians. He makes sure that the Colossian hearers understand something, that their life is not their own, that their life is in Christ, and that they have been chosen by God to be in Christ. These things are not shifting sand. These things do not change. Our life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ is revealed, so will our lives. We are holy ones, chosen and beloved by God. This does not change. Our politics will change. Our family life will change. Our career will change. Our income will change. Things will change about how our world understands Christianity, but Christ never changes. God never changes. We are beloved children of God, and we are about living this new creation, living this new life, inhabiting the promises of God. I heard a really interesting phrase that I, that I like that I've been kind of clinging on to and thinking about the last week, and it was from a scholar named Tim Mackey, um, and I was just kind of listening to a podcast that he, that he did um, on in the background, and I heard him say this phrase, Edenize. And what he was talking about was how the Garden of Eden was this place of perfection and this place of dwelling with God, and how Christians are called to Edenize create Garden of Eden, create a Garden of Eden in our home, in our church, in our work, and in our neighborhood, that we are called to Edenize our home. We're called to Edenize our church, to Edenize our work, to Edenize our neighborhood, to cultivate, to cultivate peace and to cultivate the presence of God and to cultivate awareness of God's presence in our home, church, work, and neighborhood. And I like that phrase. I've been kind of clinging on to it and thinking about it all week. But this is what we're about. 
We're about living in this new creation, inhabiting these promises of God, and we're about creating a new Garden of Eden, cultivating, I should say, cultivating a new Garden of Eden, cultivating a Garden of Eden within ourselves, within our home, within our church, within our work, within our neighborhood. And here is our guiding values. Our guiding value is Christ. Our guiding value is Christ and his work for us. The grace that God has shown in him and the salvation that God has given us in Christ. These are our guiding values. These are our guiding values. Christ himself. Not some law, not some legal scheme, but the person and work of Christ. So confidence is knowing who you are, knowing what you're about, and having a guiding set of values and making decisions. And we have that. We see that in Colossians. We are beloved children of God, chosen, holy. We are about living in the new creation, Edenizing our church, home, work, and neighborhood. And our guiding values, our guiding value is Christ, his Christ and his work, his grace and his salvation for us. If I can take us back to that Martin Luther quote, we are becoming what God has called us. We are always becoming the things that God has already said about us. He has called us righteous. He has called us his children. He has called us holy. And we are becoming those things. We are on the road toward the fullness of these things. We are on the road toward the fullness of these things. And the road is Jesus. He said, I am the way. And that word literally means road. He said, I am the road the truth, and the life. And so this changes how we think about the world around us. This changes how we interact with the world around us. This gives us this kind of humble assurance that we know who we are and we know what we are doing. This allows us to have a kind of effortlessness about us that we don't have to question. We don't have to worry. We know that we are in Christ and we know who we are, what we're about, and we know our values. I want to leave you with a, uh, a couple of ways to think about this. As I was thinking about confidence, um, one of the things that has, one of the images that keeps coming to my, to my head is my children, my two sons. Now, my two sons, they have a healthy fear of me uh, because they know that, um, that if they get out of line, that I will correct them. And they, you know, so they understand they understand that when I tell them something, I really want them to do it. But even though they have this healthy fear of me, my two boys feel safe with me. And they feel safe pushing the envelope. They feel safe acting out with me. Because even though they know that I'll correct them, and they're waiting for me to correct them, they know that I love them, they know that I care for them, and they know that I will not hurt them. And so uh, it's a little bit like this. My two boys, when they come and they visit the church for whatever reason during the week, they will run to my office and they will run in my office no matter what is going on, no matter who is in here, and no matter what else I'm doing, if I'm talking on the phone or whatever, they will run in here and they will immediately begin talking to me because they know that they are safe with me. They know that they can come to me no matter what. And it's a little bit like the picture of John F. Kennedy's son 
running past the Secret Service guards and running into the Oval Office and into his father's arms. Children don't know any better. And if they have a father or a, or a mother that loves them, they feel safe and confident with them. And they feel like they can, uh, they, they have a lot of confidence. They feel like they can do anything when they are with a parent that loves them. And this also reminds me of a time that my sons, we were, we had some friends over for a cookout, one of our life groups over for a cookout. And my two boys who generally are a little bit slower to warm, um, you know, when people talk to them, they, they tend to, to slow down a little bit. They're not quite sure, not super comfortable interacting with a lot of new people. Uh, but we had these friends over for this. We had our life group over for a cookout. And my sons, who are generally, normally pretty reserved, pretty slow to warm, uh, at one point they were playing with this water table, this toy that you fill up with water and they can play in it uh, out there in the yard. Uh, at one point, their clothes were soaked, and they just decided to take all their clothes off. So then there were my boys, my two boys, normally slow to warm, uh, in nothing but their underwear, playing in the water and laughing and running around with all these people around, people driving by, people walking by, and they just didn't care. And this exact thing happened uh, yesterday, uh, the day that I'm recording this, happened the day before I'm recording this now, last night, after... Uh, after dinner, the boys wanted to go outside and play, and so they did, but then uh, in the midst of all these things, somehow their clothes came off. So my youngest son was completely naked out there in our front yard, and our our oldest son was in nothing but his underwear, and he was out there in our front yard, and they were laughing and having a good time out there, and my wife and I were in our kitchen, which our windows, we could see them right out in our front yard. And they were just out there playing totally confident and they had no care in the world. They were just naked playing in our front yard, having a great time because they knew they were secure with my wife and I. They knew that they were safe with my wife and I. That even though in that first instance, there were all these people around, some that they knew really well, some they knew a little bit, they had confidence and they had security because my wife and I were there and they knew that they were safe and they knew uh, that they could flourish and have fun in that situation. In our own lives, when we have our security and our confidence in Christ, in his work, when we let him be our guiding value, when we let him determine the truth about us, that we are God's beloved children, that we are holy and that our life is hidden with him, we live life like my sons. That even though they were in this incredibly embarrassing situation and they didn't know everybody around there, they felt confident to do that thing and they felt safe to do that thing. That's the kind of life that we can live. We can have no abandon. We can live with reckless abandon because of what Christ has done for us. We don't have to worry about consequences of, of what people think about us or what our career is or these types of things. We can Edenize our church and our home and our work and our neighborhood. We can work for the peace of our church and our home and our work and our neighborhood. We can help others flourish. We can live for the sake of others. And we know that at the end of the day, even if we are poor, even if we are broken, even if we are persecuted, no matter what happens, God has us. We are his beloved children. We are playing in his front yard, and we know that he is watching after us. 
confidence is knowing who you are, what you're about, and having a guiding set of values and making decisions. And we find that in Colossians. So go ahead, reread Colossians this week and find all those places that give you confidence in Christ as you read. As you think about yourself and your neighbors, what are some of the things that we try to find confidence in and how are those things temporary? What happens when these temporary things fail? What does that do to our confidence? And what does that do to our emotional state? And what does that do to our emotions? What are some of the promises that we have in scripture that give us confidence in Christ? As you look forward to the next week, what would it look like for you to trust in Jesus and the promises that we have in him? Specifically, the promises of all spiritual wisdom and understanding and the promise of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does your next week look like if you trust in these things and take hold of these promises?